Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Young Changs, This Is Not a Movie captures Robert Fisk, an internationally renowned journalist who has been at this for over 40 years. We watch him on the ground, notebook in hand as he travels into the landscape devastated by war, ferreting out the facts and firing reports back home to reach an audience of millions. The process of translating raw experience into an incisive and passionate dispatches requires the determination to see things firsthand and the tenacity to say what others won't. That is the hallmark of the career of journalist uh, and correspondent and columnist Robert Fisk. We're joined today by the director of this terrific documentary film. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it on a lot of levels. And the film is called This Is Not a Movie. We're joined today by the director, Young Chang. Young, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that Mr. Fisk is getting a little bit of due for all of the work he's been doing over so many years. Such a clarion voice of reason and hearing facts and hearing perspectives that you don't generally hear in American media. What puts you on to doing a documentary about Robert Fisk? There's a, a kind of roundabout story, and, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just start with the, the long part, and I'll try to speak as <laughs> succinctly as possible. I mean, I, was, uh, I had followed his work firstly. I'd known his, of his work back in the day, certainly around uh, post 9-11, when uh, I was looking for um, you know, coverage and stories that, uh, that seemed you know, a little more tangible. And, and uh, I felt that I wasn't finding that in, in, in mainstream media. And so going to people like, uh, you know, there's Fisk and then there's, you know, all the other, the hit list of, uh, of great uh, writers and thinkers, um, Chomsky and et cetera, et cetera. And Amy Goodman was on that too. And, uh, and so that I, was, I was gravitating to that kind of literature and that kind of uh, investigative writing. And um, uh, so fast forward to 2016, the first uh, the, the, the U.S. elections with um, Trump and Clinton, I was sent off to uh, Vermont to cover a story, part of an anthology film, documentary film following uh, 24 hours in the in the lead up to the to the election uh, results. And it was a film that came out it's on Netflix called 11816. And yes. Um, yes. there you go. Sweet, yes. simple title. <laughs> yes. I, I, so, yeah. Fantastic. Burned into our, seared into our memories, I think. And, and clearly it was for me because I was following a guy named Boots Wardinsky, uh, who was um, running for Lieutenant Governor in Vermont uh, with Bernie Sanders's party. Um, I think I forget what they're called. Sorry, I'm blanking on the name, but um uh, anyway, he's an off-the-grid farmer, and at 9 p.m., he said, "This this election's done. Hillary's won. He shut down his grid, and we went to sleep." And I woke up the next day with the, a flurry of messages from my wife, who's American, and she was flipping out. And I, nine months pregnant, you know, it was it was I had no idea what was happening, and turned on the news, and there you go. So something something was askew in the way I think that there was um, mainstream media coverage versus you know. Um, the heartbeat was really going on in America at the time. And then lo and behold, out of the blue, producers from the National Film Board of Canada reached out to me and they had uh, had this story that has been in a uh, long time in research. And it was a film about Robert Fisk. 
And, and so just sort of, for me, it was like a fateful moment of like, this is right. I'm about to have a kid. The world is coming to going to hell and, and, and I've got to, I've got to do something. You know, I felt compelled, like, you know, let me go meet Fisk and let's, let's, you know, let's see what he has to say about all of this, uh, you know, all of this stuff happening right now. And so I got on an airplane and went to Beirut and met with Robert and we spent a couple of days, you know, a week together. And, um, I was quite nervous going into it because firstly, I'm not a journalist by trade. I'm not, I studied film, film production. And it, I think it takes a different integrity a different hat when you're, when you're a journalist. And certainly Robert is a, is that person. Um, and, and he's intimidating, you know, I thought he would be. And I think uh, that is his skill. I mean, when you meet the man, he's completely charming and just uh, a great guy, um, you know, sharp and also, you know, you can't let your guard down with him because he's going to hold you to it and what you yeah. say and what you think. And I, we got along really well. And, and, you know, I didn't know how the film would, what it would look like, what it would be about. It was just such a, you just showed yeah. me the book, um, Great War for Civilization. It's a huge book. I mean, his entire <laughs> career in, involves 40 years of history and, and reporting. And it was overwhelming to think of what that structure would be like at that early stage uh, when I first met him. But I felt like, okay, at least he's an interesting guy. And yeah, so that's the first step. Yeah. And an interesting guy who's willing to take chances in his professional life, knowing full well that some of the things that he's going to report and the things he's going to say are going to be so so much of a countervailing opinion to the what we accept as mm -hmm. conventional wisdom. So that that in and of itself is intriguing because I think from the, and we see this in the film, I think he's always been that way. We, uh, the, I'm glad you got th the things about his father mm -hmm. and how his father told him about World War One, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. told him a perspective that he probably wasn't hearing some from many other sources or anyone else, actually. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to inject a host a prerogative here. Sure. And that is World War One the Cold War and the Civil War in the United States are the three unresolved uh, wars of the last 150 to 200 years. Mm -hmm. And I think we're still grappling with the impact of World War I on the Middle East, for certain we are. Yeah. And the Civil War here in our country, as the, as the election of Trump can testify, and the ascendancy of Putin in Russia, I think all three of those wars are having a profound effect on modern society. Definitely. So, and, and arguably any war, I mean, any, any war, I think one could argue is very inconclusive, you know, you know, I think you look at the impact, not only to the West, but also, you know, World War II on, in, on, on, from the other perspective, you know, just the impact of the nuclear war in, in Japan. And, and, you know, it just, I think it's right. just generally throwing that as a, right uh, to the wall. I mean, I think um, not a lot sticks in terms of what, what the efficacy of war is, you know. Right, right. Well, now we're at a point in our American history where we continue to fight wars with no resolution. We don't even pretend they have a resolution, right? <laughs> we we don't. I mean, Korea, Vietnam, the you know the war in in Afghanistan, Iraq. We're not even pretending to resolve these things anymore. And it is. It speaks to a bigger picture, a bigger question that Robert Fisk attempts to tackle in this in his career and in his life. So I want to bring it back to our our subject, and that is that you've got a lot of archival footage of him. By the way, a quite impressive typist, I might say. He is he's really he's, good, really <laughs> really skilled typist. He's like an <laughs> Olympic level typist to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean. 
I guess that is, I, I got a little bit of the tail end of the typewriting, you know, era because of the, <laughs> but I was right at the end with the electronic typewriters. But I remember though, and even just seeing how you have to hammer at those notes. Exactly. At those keys, you know? And I think, I think there's something about that too, where, you know, he hates the analogy of, of the, um, the, the sword and the pen, you know, and I think it's not, that's not what he thinks about, but, but it's certainly when you look at it, there is something quite, um, like a gunshot when he, uh, when he yeah. Types. Yeah. He, his, his prose come out in the way that he approaches that typewriter. Let's just put it yeah, that yeah. way. And yeah, well, anyway, so as you got to know him, you, we, again, in the film, we see, this is not a movie by the way, and it's a, the, the story of Robert Fisk. We see, uh, his history, his first real war correspondent assignment mm -hmm. was in Belfast. Talk a little bit about that part of his life. Well, I think that was when he talks about it, it was a crucial moment when he when he realized that uh, you you can't be bent by authority and and you have to stand up against authority. And he started at that time to develop a sense of what reporting was for for him. And uh, eventually, he came up with. And I think there was a, a you know uh, his time in Belfast to his time uh, his first uh, leg of um, of time in Beirut, where he covered the. Sabr Shatia massacre, which was, you know, I think uh, really shifted his notion that reporting and that his definition of journalism is to report on the side of those who suffer and to call and to question authority. His pure definition that he defines himself to and holds himself with ultimately creates someone and a person who is unbending as a result and all, often gets them into trouble because it just, by sheer definition, reporting on the side of those who suffer, it puts you on both sides interchangeably often, but more often so on the side of those who suffer. And so- For a reason, you know, they're suffering for because, of, yeah, because of an overwhelming force that's pressing down on them. There's some shots of him driving around in, uh, I think it's, you've got a Toyota Roadrunner or so, something, knowing the prevalence of these drones, these predator drones flying over and God knows what kind of armaments are, are aligned on, keyed on those roads that he's driving around. That is, I can't imagine getting into a car willingly and driving down some of the roads that we see him in in this film. Were you with him for some, for a part of this? And yeah, I was with him through all of it. And um, and I think as a as a filmmaker who's not really, uh, I'm not a war journalist, so to speak. And so I think in getting into that, firstly, I had a great cinematographer, Dureid Munajim, who's an Iraqi Canadian uh, cinematographer. He filmed um, all the B unit for Catherine Bigelow's films that in the Middle East. And anyway, he seems to be, Duret has become the go-to, the go-to guy to film uh, any story in the Middle East. But he's he and I went to school together, film school together back back in the day in Concordia University in Montreal. And um, and so I really, I really relied on him. I relied on uh, putting a lot of trust into Fisk uh, and his, and you know, and his whole, you know, world, his driver, his, you know, the people he works with. And, and I think that was essential as well. I mean, he's a guy who stuck through it for 40 years and, and got into a little bit of trouble, but not, at least not, uh, he's still kicking. So I think uh, uh, that was something to say, all right, he, his instincts are quite honed and he's not someone, you know, he, in, in fact, he kind of, really dis dislikes the um, the hero journalist mentality and um, right. and he's often about just keeping your head down being safe and and I think part of his his character is is his ability to work his charm and his 
contact and to just play it as safe as possible. I want to get to some of the things sure. that, in my opinion, kind of define him as a journalist. Uh, his coverage of Homs, Syria, in the sort of the last stages of the breakdown of the resistance against the Assad regime in Syria and what de how determined he was to be there. He was there. We see uh, footage of him covering the Iran-Iraq war, which is a war that got very little coverage here in the West, which was devastating. Over a million people died in a war that, uh, uh, that Henry Kissinger once said they were hoping that they would just kill each other off. That was just basically what the United States stood back, sold armaments to both sides. And Robert right. Fisk was there to document that. So that one, and then of course, uh, sub that opening, and the opening sequence of our movie refers to that. Um, yeah. Time when he was covering it for, uh, I think he was doing some radio reporting for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC. And, um, and I think, if I just may speak on it briefly, yeah, I think please. that opening of that movie really, I think, sets the tone for the film, I was hoping, and I'm hoping it does. Uh, it's a piece of archive that we had, I had access to through Robert's personal archive. He had kept the original cassette recording and, um, and uh, it was only on tape. There was only audio. We didn't have a visual a accompaniment with it. Yeah. And um, so we had cut just this, you know, a, a cut down of that sequence where he's literally being bombed and, uh, and running for his life and jumping in the back of a car. Like you hear it play out in, in the opening of the movie. And I think it wasn't until, you know, halfway through our editing process, which took over a year to edit. And, and I, I'm grateful for our, my editor, Mike Munn's skill and his aptitude as a, you know, master editor. Um, he's the guy who cut uh, Sarah, Sarah Pauly's Stories We Tell, which was a great documentary. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah. but Mike, uh, we sat there in the editing room. One day we received this package and in this package was a hard drive and in this hard drive was uh, original, uh, you know, outtakes from uh, a camera person that was with Robert right at that time when he was when the audio recording took place in in, in on the Iran Iraq border in Abadan. And we actually managed to be able to sync that up. You see Robert physically run through you know the frame, and he's in the camera. That was sort of a moment where things came together for us, and those gleeful moments you have in the editing room. And, and then finding that, and this is credit to Mike, just finding that invisible cut to jump to the present day in Syria, yeah. Yeah. in homes where nothing essentially, that the landscape hadn't changed. It's still the same kind of bombed out terrain. And, uh, and then you see Robert Fisses, the older, you know, 70 year old uh, journalist still at it. Uh, and for me, that was the tone of the movie where we would be jumping from past to present fluidly uh, that we had access to some remarkable archive of Robert over the decades and uh, even beginning in Belfast, uh, you know, yeah. back then he was being covered as a, uh, as a, as a prolific journalist, even in the early seventies, then to the, the early nineties. Uh, so we had this archive that I think could tell his story a little bit more in more detail and, and kind of, and kind of strengthen uh, his, connection to being a reporter on the ground in the yeah. Middle East as we jump back and forth between present day stories that we're following where he's still pushing and telling things that are um, that are groundbreaking and uh, and eye opening. Yeah, absolutely. And the one other story that he's most associated with, I think, at least in the minds of a lot of people, is the Sab Sabah Shatila the massacre yeah. by the Israeli, well, the Israelis watched as militias went in and slaughtered 1,700 people in this refugee camp during yeah. this uh, 
uh, of the, Le- the 1982 Lebanese-Israeli right. war and how brave he was because I'm certain that there were a lot of people who just assumed he would have kept quiet about it. And But just a hallmark of the way he has lived his life as a journalist. I would say that that event, that massacre um, haunts him to this day and it fuels him and it gives him, that was his first interaction with death and murder. And I think it eggs him on. It keeps him going. It, 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 the anger uh, that he felt is what propels him to this day. And I, and I worry, you know, I feel like if he stops doing what he's doing right now, I think, I think it would, I, I worry about him because I think he's so pushed. You know, the guy doesn't sleep. He, he doesn't eat much. He just, he reads voraciously constantly. His energy is just uh, remarkable. Like uh, I, I couldn't even keep up with him when I need to sleep. He's not. <laughs> if you know what I mean, and that makes it for a challenging film filmmaking because you you have to be on all the time, and uh, and he is that person. It's remarkable. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. First of all, the film is called "This Is Not a Movie," which is an interesting title. It's sort of, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but it is it's a tough one that I think I have to keep trying to. I I have to always put into context. It's not a movie, but it is a movie. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about Robert Fisk, who is is more than a journalist. So there's a, I, I, I mean, is the subtitle is Robert Fisk and the politics of truth and the film will be getting a premiere in New York uh, on October 16th. Um, and you should be looking for that. You, where did you say it was going to screen? At the famed uh, anthology film archives in oh, New York okay. city is our, um, is our first, uh, you know, theatrical opening of the film. And okay. then it'll kind of, I think kind of roll out from there. Um, and then I think the best thing to do is to go to the distributor's website, Kim Stim, KimStim.com. K-I-M-S-T-I-M.com. And it's the first film you'll see will flash up on the, on the screen. At least today it is. Now. <laughs> and, uh, and it, and in, and in your own work, you can find out more about Young Chang's work by, by going to Y-U-N-G youngfilms.com. And you can find out more about it, keep up to date on all of his work. I truly appreciate it. I know this has been a little bit of a journey. I really thank you so very much. And Thanks, please, please you. come back anytime. Anytime you've got something coming up. I would love to. Yeah, that, would, that sounds great. Thank you so much. <laughs>You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.